In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Early in my life, I learned there is safety in numbers. With others around, help is there when you need it. Living in Manhattan, New York, I discovered this was true whether I was blissfully anonymous riding the subway or practicing situational awareness as I walked home at night in Harlem. But it's been a while since being part of a crowd felt really safe. Pandemic times have made crowds complicated, if not downright dangerous. Today's gospel, though, locates Jesus squarely in the midst of a crowd, attending to the eager folks who press in, desperate to know God's liberating power in their lives. The action is so intense, the throng so dense, that Jesus and his friends don't even have time for a handful of trail mix or a quick swig of water. When they aren't mending bodies or recruiting helpers to aid the healing efforts, Jesus and his companions are casting out demons. If possession narratives are not your favorite stories in scripture, you're probably not alone. But the Bible features demon-possessed people who are often chained and bound. Yes, they might seem a little scary, and in fact, they're mostly usually controlled by others who turn a profit from their misfortune. Some of these purportedly possessed ones live in caves far on the fringes of society. Such unfortunate folks often speak in ways that make others uncomfortable. And the demons themselves often mouth off to Jesus as he sends these spirits packing, evicting them from their human hosts. And when he does, personalities, communities, even economies get turned upside down. Some readers of scripture prefer to see these incidents as metaphorical or spiritual deliverance rather than literal exorcism. However you want to approach these tumultuous texts, there's no mistaking Jesus's authority to restore mental and physical health, to rebuke real human abuses, and to dismantle structural violence in the world. Yes, Jesus is in the restoration business bringing justice, peace, and freedom to people in the grips of oppression. And it makes the authorities uncomfortable. Religious leaders come from Jerusalem to discredit Jesus, policing him like some satanic charlatan, duping the masses with fake magic. And their resistance to the Holy Spirit's presence, disrupting policies that serve principalities over people, shows the status quo is less then safe with Jesus around. Jesus' own family members are so worried for his safety, they stage an intervention to keep him from getting deeper into trouble with those in power. You can just hear their hand ringing. When did his tone get so daring, direct, and, oh my goodness, even disrespectful? Why on earth is he messing with demons? He must have lost his mind. Yeah, that part where they call him crazy, that's actually in the text. Jesus's parable about the strong man, when you parse it, comes down to a rebuttal of the demonization of his ministry by the religious establishment. 
Jesus' right-minded proclamation of good news for the marginalized reveals that God, in Jesus, has no problem entering the commotion and chaos that often ensues where bodily healing and exorcism of agents of harm take place. God also orchestrates the transformation of society, reintegrating vulnerable members of the community who formerly had been vilified, excluded, and estranged. God's family organizes around love's reparative power. Now that is where Jesus' loyalties lie, not with those who rule and are ruled by fear. If you've ever found yourself in the cultural crosshairs of concerned folks who seek to sanction who you love and how you choose to define family, you know that clear and present danger of such quote-unquote loving connections. In God's chosen family, love's inclusive prerogatives reign supreme, and you can trust Jesus will let nothing separate you from that perfect love. All our proud human habits of parsing godly and satanic, dangerous and safe, strong man and plunderer, sensible and insane, break down as Jesus unmasks our hubris, ever inclined as we are to divide and conquer. The truth is, behind any strong man someone wants to tie up, there's a resource somebody's fixing to plunder. This reality came alive for me recently in conversation with someone under correctional control here in the state of Georgia. I learned about inmates working without compensation, providing zero-cost labor to lucrative private businesses owned by prison employees. I heard stories of unpaid workers fulfilling daily assignments while contending with incessant tooth pain hoping for future access to dental care that could save a decaying tooth rather than accepting the remedy offered them on the inside where the only treatment available for cavities is extracting the entire tooth. Aren't such dehumanizing practices the very sort Jesus decries and dismantles? Even if we look at those rare times in Jesus' ministry where initially he refuses someone who comes seeking his help, Jesus ultimately is moved by their faith, audacity, and insistence and compassionately turns toward them and meets their needs. This morning's gospel challenges us to see how we too often leave suffering people on the periphery deeming their plight beyond redeeming, how we pull away from societal struggles that feel just a bit too thorny for us to solve. American educator, organizer, and advocate for prison reform, Miriam Kaba points out the failings of Western systems of carceral punishment and deterrence and how they are just too many to ignore any longer. With wisdom, compassion, and insight, she elucidates how diverse communities are working in many different ways to remedy the underlying injustices and inequities that have made phrases like school-to-prison pipeline words that we even dare to string together in common parlance. 
A recent New York Times article on abolition politics highlighted Kaaba's place within this movement that is fueling crucial and essential conversations about change within our nation. Kaaba's book of essays entitled, We Do This Till We Free Us, considers the conscious, collective, and creative efforts of abolitionists in America who are calling attention not only to the treatment of people held in cages of criminal confinement, but also to persistent conditions that facilitate harms in countless communities and lingering mentalities that continue to, perpetual, to perpetuate structural violence in our country. These tender spaces of truth-telling and self-reflection are sacred places we are commissioned to go with the Holy Spirit's help. As Jesus opens our hearts to listen and to learn how God already is transforming our world through the liberating power of Jesus' love, forging communities of mutual aid, mobilizing support so that individuals, families, and communities long targeted by policing, prisons, and surveillance so that they can finally flourish surely is part of our Christian mission in this time. Finding a faithful way forward amid the complicated crush of urgent priorities does not have to be dangerous or deadly. God will help us with this healing project, reconnecting members of the wider human family and setting us on the path of rediscovering that safety in numbers we are meant to know in loving community, the kind we've struggled to feel much lately. May Jesus forgive, restore, and heal us one and all so that we may embrace as essential to the whole beloved community, all who till now have existed on the margins. Amen.